Amazing. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the first week of our three-week vision series, including our sowing and reaping report. It's great to have you. My name is Levi. We haven't met before. Great to, uh, great to meet you. If you have the Bible, Ephesians 2, chapter 10, this is our key scripture for our good works offering. And it says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's cool, isn't it? We're created to do good, which God prepared for us in advance for us to do. Father, we pray that you would bless this time together, bless this message, be with us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every year we receive one specific offering. People give every week in church, 100% of our church is giving or about 99% is online. But once a year we come together for one specific offering as a church and we call it Good Works. Historically, we've used this money for a range of things, for ministries outside of the four walls of the church and for ministries inside the four walls of the church. We've used it to fund ministries like Out of the Cold, which is a ministry that provides food for those experiencing homelessness in downtown Ottawa. We've provided uh, provision for Mama Emara, for Rebecca, a midwife in Uganda, birthing babies free of death and disease. We've given money to the Arctic Hope Project, which helps indigenous, the indigenous communities in the far north hear about Christ and receive the things they so desperately need. We've employed new staff. We've bought equipment for the church. The day-to-day -day operational costs of our church have been covered through Good Works. We've subsidized Kindred. We have used pastoral tools to train our staff and upskill our staff through conferences or the purchase of books or curriculum. We've provided therapy for many, many people in our church. have spent thousands of dollars on therapy over the last couple of years to make sure that people can move forward in their mental health. Good Works has always been for us a way to receive money and respond to the needs of the church. Then we can be charitable as a church with the overflow. And the Sowing and Reaping Report is an illustration of how we invested that money. Well, last year, I'm so excited to announce to you today that we received last year for Good Works $103,355. How good is that? Let's just take a second. Like There's some uh, emoji you know, clap emoji, applause emojis. Well, I know there are some, so throw them in the chat. Little hand, little praise hands, little prayer hands, some hearts, you know. $103,355 in a one-off offering called Good Works. The Ephesians 4 was our, the Ascension Gifts was our key scripture that we used for the Good Works offering last year. And in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Note that word there again, so that the body of Christ may be built up. It represents those five-fold ministry gifts. It represents three areas outside the church and two inside the church. The three outside of the church are the apostle, the prophet, and the evangelist. And for us last year, we cast a vision in good works that the apostle would be about, about launching new things, about expansion, that the prophet would, would point to the future and we would invest in our building fund for the first time in our journey. And the evangelist would reach those outside of the four walls through Out of the Cold and Mama Amara and our continuing support of those ministries. The two inside of the church are focused on the saints, aren't they? 
if the apostle, prophet, evangelist are focused outside, then the pastor and teacher are focused on shepherding God's people and discipling and teaching the saints. Our projected allocations, and there'll be some graphs that will come up there that you can see, were that the apostle would receive 25%, the prophet 10%, the evangelist 20%, the pastor 20%, and the teacher 25%. Effectively an even spread across those five areas uh, where that money would be invested into and dispersed into. From the top, the apostle would be about us launching new campuses and uh, investing in areas that we had already launched. The evangelist would, would invest money into Mama Amara, out of the cold, the Arctic Hope Project, that the pastor would then um, provide therapy for the saints and staff salaries and training for our staff and key leaders, that the teacher would invest and disciple the saints. And we would do that through walk and again through staff salaries, curriculum, the purchase of books. And then lastly, the profit, which is in that first three category, would be um, 10% towards our building fund. With the 103 $1,355 that we received, we change those percentages based on need. You'll see that it was quite even across the board, the three outside of the church and the two inside. But what ended up happening as the year went on, as we spoke with the board and our team, that the apostle, the evangelist and the prophet went down, but the, the pastor and the teacher went up. The actual breakdown was not what it was projected to be. The actual breakdown was this is that the apostle was given 12% of investment, the prophet actually zero, the evangelist 3%, but the pastor, 70% of our investment from good works was through pastoring the saints, and the teacher, 15%. So a combined 85% of what we received was invested back into the church. Our desire to spend on the things that we wanted changed as the focus shifted to things that we needed. Like a family budget, when you sit down with your spouse or even with your roommates, or if you're sitting there alone, students or singletons out there and doing a budget by yourself, much respect to you. You're only as strong outwardly as you are, as your family is inwardly. You don't vacation if you can't pay the mortgage, isn't that right? You don't buy a new lounge suite before the insurances are paid. And you don't grab that TV on Black Friday if your cupboards are bare. The focus shifted from expansion to discipleship. Um, at, at the moment, at the time of viewing uh, in Canada, we are in spring. And certainly in Ottawa, there has been a definitive pivot towards spring. It was minus 10 with a snowstorm the other day. And, uh, and I just walked here to the office and it was uh, 20, 22 degrees, probably 28 degrees by the end of the day. And it's the 14th of April. What we had seen, though, um, in the lead up to the spring, um, in the winter time, and in the fall primarily, right through the winter, is we see in Canada a tremendous shift in the trees, don't we? Uh, beautiful in the fall and the leaf watches as they turn burnt orange and brown and red and yellow from the amazing green that they are most of the year. But what happens is trees go through a process of reverse sapping. And the sap which normally extends to the branches and to the leaves and then evidently to the fruit, as it's drawn up via osmosis from the, the tree roots, is reversed from the branches back to the trunk. The leaves die and the fruit is no more and some of the branches fall away. The tree is sacrificing its leaves and branches to focus on long-term health. 
the tree is sacrificing short-term fruit for long-term strength. The early church was generous and gave to one another. No one had need, the Bible says. They sold possessions for the benefit of those who didn't have enough. And from that reverse sapping, they expanded. Well, they didn't just expand, they exploded. The early church exploded with growth after that initial adversity. Last year, we cast a vision, didn't we? We spoke all year about a church full of disciples. Our vision last year was clear, and it was about pastoral strength and discipleship. Devoted to Christ, growing in Him, being covered in the dust of our rabbi, helping one another, gathering regularly, really bouncing back from a tough couple of years through the pandemic. We didn't really have dreams to do new things, or if we had dreams, we didn't really talk about them that much. Our goal was for healthy people and healthy families. We launched Walk, new groups. We raised up and trained 25 discipleship mentors. We had an active staff, a committed board. And as a result, our church experienced a season of unprecedented health. And the byproduct of that health was that we experienced a season of unprecedented growth. That in Ottawa, our church has truly grown in depth and a physical size. And in size, we're not trying to um, place a, a heavy metric on that. We don't measure that week to week, but the eye test would say that our church is, is tangibly growing in numbers, but we all know that that's as a result of it growing in depth and in health. Ben Mitchell, who's a, just an awesome member of our church, he had his church anniversary at Easter time. And I went up and said hello and you know, a big hug and an embrace a handshake and and he said, it's been 12 months since I've been coming to this church. And 12 months ago, someone brought him to Easter. Caleb, uh, Tyler was preaching. And 12 months later, he's come back to church and Caleb was preaching. Brilliant messages both. We're a different church than when Ben first came. We look different. We feel different. I think our church is healthier and our church is clearly bigger as a result. Over the last few years, our church's promotional budget, um, this might shock you. It might not, but prepare yourself for this. Our church's promotional budget has been zero. We don't hand out flyers downtown. We don't have literature at the door ready for you to hand out on the street. We don't invest a ton of time on social media advertising, but still we grow, and I think we grow because we're healthy, and I think we're healthy because we invest in the saints. Our church has grown and welcomed new people, gone deeper into discipleship, as our devotion to Christ has deepened, our church has experienced health and growth. We raised last year $103,355, and that money was dispersed into the following areas. We've already covered the um, percentage breakdown, but now let's go through the financial breakdown. The apostle last year, the, the, the new things received 12% of funding, and that was $13,000. And that was a staff salary dedicated solely to our online campus. Our online campus is great. You're on it right now. It reaches people all over the world. Not only does the online campus on a weekly basis reach people all over the world, it then generates a podcast and YouTube that then is also then able to continue to do so. Many people who are a part of our physical church came because they watched online. Many people who are a part of our online church who don't come physically are here because of the contribution that we've made into what we call the Apostle, the launching of new things, and that last year was our online campus. The, the evangelist last year, we gave 
too little money into this particular area. We gave 3%, which was $3,000 invested into Mama Amara. Uh, the midwife there, her name is Rebecca. She's beautiful. We've heard from her. She's a wonderful woman a few times in the last couple of years, and she's given birth or helped give birth to, um, as a midwife, hundreds of babies over that time, free of death, free of disease, healthy and thriving as a result of the giving of our church. We've been able to cover her salary part or full-time for the last four years since 2019. The pastor received 70% of giving, which was $72,012. All of this money went into some very key things that we hold dear as a church. The first one is we gave over $6,000 directly into therapy, helping people get their mind right, helping people with their emotional health, helping people full stop. We were able to give money out of the $72,000 pool into staff training, into food and transport, into staff salaries. Food and transport's an interesting one, isn't it? What do you mean food and transport? Who are we transporting? What are we, FedEx? No, no, no. But we are a church that believes in covering the mileage of our board or leaders or staff who use their car to pastor people. We're not really the church that wants to invite you to come into my office. We're not really a church that... Um, wants people in our environment or in our sphere to do all of the traveling. We want to as best we can, to do as much traveling as we can, to pay for as many meals and coffees as we can to pastor our people effectively. If you've met a pastor in our church, in a cafe, or in your home, or at a location outside of where they, where they live, you've covered their gas to get to that place, which I think is a great use of money. The teacher, 15%, which is $15,343, was given into our walk process. This was um, equipment that we needed to record our walk videos. This was venues that we hired to make the walk process happen. This was parking at events where we subsidized parking for events like Kindred, which is a discipleship conference to help women be devoted and be on fire for Christ. Advertising, promotional material, um, books, uh, additional training for people, giving out books for those who need them uh, from our Learn page. All of this was money that we spent in discipleship. And the one area that received 0% contribution last year was our building fund. So if you hope that last year, after promoting the building fund, that we have one, we do not. Because we didn't give any money into that area, but instead into the discipleship and pastoral health of our church. Pastoral and discipleship made up 85% of our investment last year. We invested into the church and we saw immense fruit as a result. We take the financial contribution of the saints seriously as a church. We understand the sacrifice that each person makes to work hard to get that check, to then give up some of it graciously to the Lord as an immense act of worship. As we approach Good Works 2023, I want everyone to be stirred and exhorted to consider that if this church is your home, that you would pray about the contribution that you would make as an individual or a family into good works this year. We cannot continue without your giving. To think about all the investment that we made into our church this year was made possible for your giving. It's giving that you make that we pray comes right back to you. The best offering that we could give this year is an obedient one. So we don't do a big finance series in the lead up. We don't do a big push for good works. We don't do a lot of promotion. 
We don't twist any arms, but we just believe in the generosity and the faithfulness of God's people. This is an over and above kind of offering. This is over our our weekly tithes. This is where we allow God to stretch us and stretch our faith. And so if you don't give, then come with something to give. If you normally do give, then be sure that you're prayed through what it is that's on your heart to give. And if you're in a season of financial favor, then come on the 30th of April and bless the Lord. Our Good Works offering will be at the end of our service on the 30th, two weeks from today. So be prayed up and ready to hear from God. As we embark on 2023, let us turn now and let us turn our attention away from what we did into what we will do. What is our vision for 2023? Well, over the next three weeks, I hope to answer that question for us today. It's a funny thing, isn't it, vision? Every organization has it, every leader speaks it, whether it's a sports coach, a GM, someone in the front office or a political party or maybe a business and maybe it's a, a tech company casting vision for the next five to 10 years. In church, vision is just as important. The difference for us is that we already have vision, don't we? We don't need to generate it out of nowhere and to try and stimulate interest because the leader that we follow cast the greatest vision of all time. In fact, let me say this, the greatest vision of all time was cast by the greatest leader of all time. He made it clear to us when he said, Go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Six chapters earlier in the the greatest commandment, he, he was asked, what is it? And he answered, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. The second is like it, inextricably linked, he says. That surely between these two verses, we have our job description, our lifetime vision. Why then do we need three weeks to hear from Levi on Sunday about the vision of the church? I'll tell you why. Partly because people still ask me all the time, what's the vision of the church? What's on your heart? What's in the future? What's the vision? I sometimes roll my eyes and I want to give them a Bible and just say, yeah, like it's in here, you know, like specifically Matthew 22 and 28. But I feel like you would likely be unsatisfied if I did that. But as we break down this huge vision to reach the world into bite-sized chunks, 2019 was characterized by uh, Nadia's just infinitely brilliant phrase. Um, We are a normal church, she said. (laughs) We were at a cafe, a a restaurant called Mati, and the owner came over, started talking with us. What do you guys do? And you started a church. That's amazing. Tell me about it. And I started answering, but I was trying, it was in my head about, my answer, and I was like, oh, so we're like a, you know, we're an evangelical church and, you know, Bible and charismatic roots, but probably a little bit more um, contemplative in style. And, and, and you could see the person just glazing over, like I was using all this Christian language to try and answer someone who potentially, you know, doesn't go to church. And Nadia leaned over and said, hey, sorry about Levi. We're a normal church. A normal church. That gave us 12 months of energy as a team. We just wanted to be a normal church. That people would say, what kind of church are you? We're just normal. And they would say, oh, great. That sounds amazing. It got so many favorable responses. In 2020 and 21, we were characterized by the survival of COVID. And we just wanted to just get through. And we did. In 2022, we wanted to raise a church full of disciples, which we've covered in our sowing and reaping. But as we embark in the next 12 months, turn with me to 2 Chronicles 7, 14, chapter 7, verse 14. And it says this, and this will outline um, 
hopefully some clarity for us about what we're talking about this year. The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. The context here is that the Lord, Yahweh, our Father in heaven, is speaking with Solomon. He's previously made Solomon the wisest man on the planet. He was so thrilled with his answer. He said, Solomon, I'll give you anything. He says, give me wisdom to lead and discern your people. And God's like, that's amazing. Gives him wisdom, makes him the wisest person who's ever lived and whoever will live. Solomon then builds the temple and God consecrates the temple. They're then having a discussion, a talk, and God says what we've just read out today. There are two distinct parts of the passage, and I want to talk about those two distinct parts for us today as our introduction for our vision for the next three weeks. God will hear, heal, and forgive. And we are called to be humble, pray, seek His face, and repent. Let me, let me break that down for you one more time. God will hear, heal, and forgive if we His people are called to be humble, pray, seek, and repent. If we, then He. If is a conditional clause, isn't it? I will do this if you. And with God, we talk about God with agape, unconditional love, unmerited favor, His grace. But we get past the fact that there are, in the scriptures, even in the Ten Commandments, there are conditional clauses that honor your mother and father, then you will live long in the land. That living long in the land is dependent on how much honor we give to our mother and father. That if is a conditional clause used here, that if you, then I. The first half is the challenge, that if my people will call by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear, heal, and forgive. The first half is the challenge, and the second half is the reward. The first half is our part, and the second half is God's part. God's part is the dream, the mystery. God's part is the supernatural. God's part is the cool, isn't it? The part worth talking about. Our part is, is the other part, the boring part, the grind. His is the inexplicable part. When God moves, we call it many things. We call it a move of God. I think for God, it's just being Him. We call it supernatural. We call it miraculous. We even call it revival. We had a discussion recently about revival in the office for a couple of weeks, actually. Got the blood boiling, got people thinking, got people stirred up as people started to think about what exactly is a revival. Well, I think 2 Chronicles 7.14 gives us a clear picture of revival, revival that if God hears, heals, and forgives, surely that looks like God moving on the planet. That looks like revival. Then when we think about Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit pours out on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, an incredible move of God, what looked like tongues of flames, what looked like, what sounded like people speaking in foreign tongues, 3,000 saved, Peter preaching up an absolute storm. It sounds like revival to me. The Moravian revival, the New York revival, Jeremiah Latimer, the Azusa Street revival, the Welsh revival, Evan Roberts. That there are that there are revivals, moves of God. The Moravian revival started with a, a communion service, the Eucharist, and ended in a hundred years of prayer. That it lasted for a hundred years because God touched that place. 
<coughs> excuse me, and did something miraculous. He brought about a revival, something of the reviving in the hearts of people because his presence came close. We saw recently the Asprey revival. We saw God move amongst Gen Z, which is just remarkably exciting. Lines out the door, no preachers, just worship and prayer and a humble supplication to the Lord. There was much critique. There were many influencers talking about the revival and, and providing their thoughts on it, uh, um, opinions and arguments and critiques in it. And it got me thinking. I, I, I tried to stay out of the debate um, because I think when God moves or when it feels like God is moving or when God might be moving, it's holy, isn't it? It's a holy mystery. The mysterious way that God moves is what makes it a move of God. If it was so clearly tangible, oh, there it is, that's God moving, then it would just kind of take away a little bit, wouldn't it? But when it's mysterious and when there's a holy sense, a sacred sense of a move of God, that's what makes it a move of God. Defining a move of God can be difficult. We must look to the fruit, the souls, the life change, the outpouring of His Spirit. If it quacks like a duck, and it's probably a duck, that you know it when you see it. It's kind of what defines a move of God. We're tuning now to Chronicles 7, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, says, we can at least say that the hearing, the healing, and the forgiving of God definitely for me sounds like a move of God. That the greatest miracle is the saving of a soul. The greatest miracle is the forgiveness of God on a soul on this planet. Even in that last moment, with the criminal dying on the cross, while he was dying, he was still saving, was our Jesus. That's God's part, isn't it? The mysterious, the supernatural, the miraculous part. That's the part worth talking about. This year, I guess as a snapshot of our vision, I want to dream about God's part, for sure. But at the end of the day, it's His part, and He does it when He wants. But I would love to, as a church, spend time focusing on our part. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear, heal, and forgive. Humble, hungry, prayerful, repentant. Humble, hungry, prayerful, repentant. In other words, if we're devoted Christian believers, because if we read the scriptures, don't we see that a Christian believer should be humble and hungry and prayerful? And repentant. Have you ever met someone like this? You know, someone who was not humble but arrogant? Ugh. The arrogant person knows everything, doesn't he? Not prayerful but entitled. The entitled person expects everything, don't they? Not hungry but apathetic. The apathetic, the apathetic person does nothing. Not repentant but stubborn. The stubborn person has full belief in their ability and none in God's ability. I want to have these characteristics. I want to be a humble person because a humble person doesn't assume he's right. A prayerful person is grateful for everything that he has. A hungry person does whatever it takes. And a repentant person has belief in God to save. 
A humble person isn't trying to reach up to God in their own strength. She knows that the bigger the gap, the greater his righteousness. The prayerful person starts from a position of thankfulness and believes that God is a benevolent father who wants to answer our prayers. A hungry person is trying to find God every day. He's prepared to sacrifice time and energy in the holy pursuit of a holy God. The repentant person is wonderful to be around. She isn't aiming to be right. In fact, she's actively seeking for times when she's wrong. Recently, Nadia and I were in Australia and we were in the Northern Rivers uh, around an area called Byron Bay, in fact, where Chris Hemsworth is from. And a friend of mine, Matt Tantari, is a pastor. He has what I call an assumption of revival. He said, Levi, can you come and teach our team, our staff, our key volunteers, our leaders, um, about how to do family because you and Nadia and your church do it so well. He assumed God was going to move. That was done. God moving was done. Like it was, it was going to happen. It's a foregone conclusion. Put the house on it. God's going to move. There will be a coming revival. He was not interested in his part. He had decided in his heart already that God was going to move. He was now only interested in the part that he had to play in that process. Healthy disciples, hungry for God, where holiness is our standard, repentance. Repentance is our regular. Matt Tantari had the assumption of revival and so was far more con concerned about his part in the process. If health is the goal and health brings God's revival in us, if health is the goal and if health brings God's revival in us, through us and to us, then our vision for this year is simple. We want to be a healthy church. Courtney Spencer's friend was in church a few months ago, maybe six to nine months ago. And he talked to me at the back and he, he grabbed me. He said, Levi, and he was full of a, a righteous zeal and passion for the Lord. He said, Levi, we were at the back. He said, look, and we looked down the pews towards the front of the church, standing at the back there by the parents' corner on a Sunday. And he said, Levi, this is a healthy church. It's one of the greatest compliments about our church I've ever received. Matthew 7, verse 7 to 12 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This, this Jesus gives us here in the Sermon on the Mount an incredible picture of a partnership, doesn't he? Again, those conditional clauses. A partnership that I, uh, that I want us to engage in this year. This year let's ask. This year let's seek. This year let's knock. This year let's humbly believe that He will give, He will answer, and He will open. But let's do the seeking. Let's do the knocking. Friends, let's do the asking. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good, the Bible says to all people, but note this, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This year, let's not be insular. This year, let's not be um, anti-evangelical. No, 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 no. But in order to sustain the growth that God is already bringing into our church, let's continue to do good. Let's continue to devote. Let's continue to grow. Let's continue to be healthy believers. Let us do good to all people, the Bible says, especially those who belong to the family of God. 
What is the vision of local church? And one of your friends might ask you, like they ask me. And you could say, oh, we want to be a healthy church. Maybe they'll follow up and they'll say, what is that? And you say, oh, I'm glad you asked. There's a book in the Bible called Second Chronicles. In chapter 7 and verse 14, it says that we are called to be humble, prayerful, hungry, and repentant. Because a humble person expects that God will move. A humble person doesn't assume he's right. A prayerful person is grateful for everything that he has. A hungry person does whatever it takes. And a repentant person has belief in God to save. That if we could be a healthy believer this year, that we could help generate a community full of healthy believers. That we could be a healthy church to in turn generate and help a hurting world that will become healthy in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, man, uh, that's awesome, but I'm, I'm like not walking with God. I'm away from Him. I, I, I don't know where I'm at with Him. Then I'd like to pray a prayer with you, friend. Prayer that we would, we would believe would bring you into relationship with God. A prayer that could change your life forever. And as I pray that prayer, my prayer is, is that your life will be changed forever. And it goes like this. Pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Love you so much. I can't wait to talk to you more next week on our second week of Vision. Be blessed. See you later.